expression, great minds think alike. Uh, don't tell Natalie I said that. Without me telling you, and of course you've already heard, how many of you know what this is? <laughs> the pinky promise. The pinky promise. And that when, when uh, she said uh, that it was relatively new, uh, there was no such thing when most of us were kids. The pinky promise. Uh, hopefully at some point in time you graduate to something a little more serious, maybe the shaking of hands. Uh, and there's this fabled day in our country where people said their word is their bond and a handshake was all that was needed. I'm not sure I ever lived in that, although I've known some people that's a very serious thing. Now for me, my go-to when I was a kid, and I couldn't find an image for this, and I got to thinking maybe I shouldn't, but my go-to was cross my heart and hope to die, what? Stick a needle in my eye. Um, and, you know, I don't recall ever saying that where that, that was really a consequence I was willing to go to. And now we, most of us, have long since grown into the world of contracts. Uh, so why do we need pinky promises and handshakes and crossing hearts and contracts? Why do we need that? Because, folks, let's be honest, most of us have grown up and we've known a lot of people and very well possibly may have been those people whose yes did not mean yes and whose no did not mean no. Uh, we, we have this issue. The passage of Scripture we looked at at the last in our responsive reading, God is not a human that he should lie, is something that we are all far too familiar with. Well, in today's text, Paul is going to be dealing with this issue of making promises, only it's not coming from human to human. So would you stand as we read the Word, and, and again, listen both ears with all of your heart. And Paul wrote to the Galatians, Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or high, add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, uh, many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God gave in his grace, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. God bless the reading of his word and you may be seated. In today's text, Paul showed that the law did not negate the covenant with Abraham. Now, we can understand by the things Paul responded to in Galatians about the false readers, apparently they were saying something very similar to this. Uh, to drive it home, Paul said, we're going to look at Abraham again, and we will look at him again. Abraham is very important to Paul's argument. In doing so, he concluded very openly and honestly, with all of his heart, Paul concluded 
God's promise does not change. The Judaizers who were leading the Galatians away from what God had given them through Paul's message of the gospel, they saw Paul's understanding of justification by faith alone to be dangerous. In their minds, that was not living up to what God required. The doctrine wasn't complete. They believed that in order to have God come into your life through faith, you must also do the works of the law, and particularly the idea of circumcision. To this day, there's still a lot of people who kind of hold on to that idea that somehow, they may not ever say it outright, but somehow faith is not quite enough. But with everything in me, I believe that we need to understand Paul is letting us know today we don't need to fear the doctrine of justification by faith. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law like I shared last week, and that truth has redefined our relationship with the law. From now on, everything we understand, we understand through Christ. We are free from the law. And we sang a beautiful hymn last week, free from the law, happy condition. It's one of my favorite oldies. But here, what does that mean? For me to stand up and say, we are free from the law because God promised. To get that, we're going to look at the truths of Paul's passage to the Galatians. And I I need you to really hold on and hear me. Really understand what I'm trying to, to get across today. And I'll do my best to get it across as well as possible. But the very first truth that Paul gives to the Galatians, God has established a binding covenant. God is the one who gave this covenant to Abraham. He is the one who started it. Now, just to help you know how serious this is, the book of Genesis shows Abraham having received the promise of God, and he believed, and God said, your faith will justify you. But along the way, Abraham struggled with doubts and questions, mainly, okay, God, you're doing this for me, but I still don't have any children. And in the 15th chapter of Genesis, he even said, should I make Eliezer my heir? And God gave him the promise, look up into the stars and all of this. And and Abraham is still having a difficulty time, so God does something. Now, if you think cross my heart and hope to die is tough, God and Abraham did what is known in the Levitical idea code, they cut a covenant. Now, what that meant, God told Abraham to kill a few things and cut them in half and place those halves on either side of a path. To cut a covenant between people would mean we're going we're gonna to kill this bull, cut it in half, we're going to spread it apart, we're going to walk through that, and that's going to bind the covenant. Signing a contract doesn't sound so bad right now. We're going we're gonna to make this covenant. Now, the implication of the covenant with those carcasses beside you Again, if you think breaking your pinky is tough, the implication is you break this covenant and this will happen to you. And Abraham prepares everything and he falls asleep and we're told that God showed up 
And in a visible way, not bodily, but in a way that could be seen, God walked the path through the carcasses. I have cut this covenant. Now, Abraham knows God has completely and totally committed himself. So, with that in mind, Paul used a very concrete illustration to drive the point home. The false teachers may have admitted that Abraham was in fact justified by faith, but it seems that they said when the law came along, something was added to that, something was important. Uh, along with the law, there is a new understanding of how you achieve salvation by following the law. Now, Paul answered that by turning to the world they would have understood, the world of contract, the world of a covenant. Now, some people believe that Paul is talking about a will and testament here, but I think we the, the idea that Paul is using throughout Galatians is the idea of covenant with God the contract with God, and I like J.B. Phillips' translation of this verse. Let me give you an everyday illustration, my brothers. Once a contract has been properly drawn up and signed, it is honored by both parties and can neither be disregarded nor modified by a third party. So when a covenant in the ancient world, in, in the Galatians world, was signed and ratified, you agreed to live by it. No one could annul it. No one could add to it. Now, <clears throat> because we are who we are, there is an elephant in the room with that statement. And I will address it in a moment. But it, it wasn't pertinent to Paul's argument. But there is something I will address in a moment uh, that makes our minds a little uncertain. The argument was just as men kept their covenants, the promise God made to Abraham was confirmed by a covenant. And God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a seed. And I am going to give you a land. And now Abraham knows God has not just promised, he has entered into the covenant. Now, in the Old Testament, whenever you see God making a covenant with people, it is what F.F. Bruce has pointed out, is a, a the Berit is a covenant of grant. The Old Testament covenant. And basically what that means, it's a superior making covenant with an inferior. And the covenant is drawn up by the superior wanting to grant some sort of blessing to the person he's entering in the covenant with. Now, the covenants of human beings were parody covenants. Basically made between equals or close to equal it was a kind of covenant that God told the Israel, don't make with the Canaanites. But here, God, now just grab hold of this. Almighty God shows up to make a covenant with Abraham. Abraham and his seed. Now, this is kind of like Paul talks about the covenant and gets sidetracked for just a moment. He says, oh, by the way, notice, God made it with his seed, not seeds. Seeds or descendants would imply many people. Seed means one person, and Paul says that one person is Christ. Now, we're going to flesh that out a lot more in detail next week. And it is important for you to understand, even in this same chapter, 
in chapter 3, verse 9, Paul used the singular seed as collective, talking about all of Israel. But here, he's making a specific understanding of the promise. God gave Abraham and his seed, Christ, a promise. And basically, you know that second part of the promise to Abraham? He said, I will make, I will give, make you a blessing, give you a blessing, and I will make you a blessing to all the world. And that's where the seed will come in. God is saying, not only will I bless you and multiply you, I will use you and your seed to touch the entire world. Now, having said that, anytime you use an illustration in, in Scripture, when a human illustration is used, it can be misinterpreted. So here's a warning. When you come to this passage, be careful not to push the illustration too far. What do I mean by that? Well, here's the elephant in the room. Paul says when people make contracts, no one ties essentially to break the contract, right? No one tries to change it after the name is signed. And we know, don't we, people break contracts all the time. People make promises they never meant to keep. But the point here we need to understand Paul is looking at the Roman world, and he uses an illustration from the ideal and the normal. Normally, in the world of the Galatians, if two couple people come up and make a contract, their intent and their purpose and their goal keep the contract. The false teachers were suggesting that what happened, God changed the rules of the contract. And the moment you start talking about God changing the rules of what it meant, how are you saved? Justification by faith. Well, I meant that, but there's some more down the line. What you're doing is challenging the very integrity of God. And this is crucially important. God defines what the true covenant agreement is. Not human beings who tend to have shaky integrity. Just like in a couple of months, we'll have Father's Day. And I've heard a lot of people say that if a human father shows what the heavenly father is like to his children. And that, that's, that's not really true. God defines what being a father means. And we are supposed to live by his example. When God set the covenant, it was set. It was binding. There was not going to be a change of mind in it. We can know that Paul was reminding these people this was a binding covenant with God, Abraham, and his seed. And we're the beneficiaries. Because folks, the moment we trusted our lives into Christ's hands, the moment we received his gift of salvation, paid for by the shedding of his blood, living the perfect life. The mo when he did that, we became part of the family of Abraham. Descendants of faith. What I want you to see, what I hope you will see, what I, I pray that you will really understand, we can lovingly affirm a trust that God's covenant 
stands firm. And this is important because there are a lot of times doubts set in, or there are a lot of times we struggle with what Paul is telling the Galatians, God never backed down from this promise. He won't change the rules. One of the most frustrating things in children's lives when they're playing games kind of sets the future for what their life may be like. Again, I've mentioned this quite some time ago. How many of you have ever been involved in a childhood game that most often tag? And in the middle of the game, the rules were changed. Anybody have that? When you play tag, base is clearly defined, isn't it? If you reach that tree, you're safe. And in the game, somebody, maybe the most forceful child there, will suddenly decide, I'm a whole lot closer to this tree, so base. And the rest of us, that's not fair. When my daughter would tell me, that's not fair, I would just chuckle. Wait till you see life, kid. God made a promise. You are justified by faith. And Paul said to the Galatians, you were justified by faith. You do not have to be afraid. God will stand by the covenant. And this gives us hope. Why? Because God has given his word. And God is not a human that he should lie. So we embrace this truth. The, 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 the rules of the game, as it were, the, the promise of how is somebody made right with God with Abraham and throughout the centuries, the just shall live by faith. Well, our second truth, the Mosaic Covenant did not break the covenant of faith. God has set up a covenant. And again, the Judaizers would have recognized that. But they would say, God is free to change it. And Paul saw something very different. And again, with Paul, sometimes he just likes to do what Jesus did with the parables. Sometimes Paul just makes an obvious discussion of things People will know. And Paul used a straightforward logic to affirm what God did with Moses did not annul, did not set aside what God had done with Abraham and with all who trusted him. And it was a, a principle of permanence of this covenant, and he affirmed it. The covenant was made so long before God brought the law into the picture it could not have been changed by the law. Now here, Paul says, Abraham was justified by faith. God made the covenant, and it's not till 430 years after. Now, there are some people who like to try to crunch numbers and talk about how the Bible is wrong. I believe what Paul is, is doing is taking a look. Jacob has the covenant of Abraham reaffirmed to him at the end of his life. And about a little over 400 years later, the law will be given. So the covenant, the promise, lasted from Abraham to Jacob and will continue to last. 400 plus years 
before the law came into effect. 400 years from the promise of, the Abraham, of Abraham and his, the patriarchs, to the beginning of the law. And during that long interval, God continued to bless the patriarchs. Now, the reason we would use the phrase age of promise, not Abraham and not his son or his grandson and so forth, Abraham didn't get to see the promise fulfilled, did he? I'm going to make you see uh, descendants more than the stars. I'm going to give you this land. Abraham died before that came to pass, as did Isaac, as did Jacob and Esau, as did Joseph. All of that, they all died before the promise was fulfilled. But God blessed them and continued to bless them as they trusted him, as he moved them to, to hear and understand and follow. Additionally, it couldn't change the, the, God's dealing with Abraham because, again, law and promise, they don't mix. It's oil and water. They don't commingle. They cannot be combined. So you can't say, okay, here's the law, the, here's the justification by faith, to which I'm going to add an addendum, the law. You can't add law to faith. can't add works to faith. God's way of salvation has always been about faith. And when you take a look at the Old Testament, uh, particularly when you start looking in the, the Deut Deuteronomy context, when Bo Moses is giving his, his last speech to Israel, it seems that the priestly group were already giving precedence to Abraham. Abraham is the example for the people of Israel. What the law did was confirm that they have trusted in God. The law has confirmed that. And so that covenant, Abraham's, stood the test of time. They would never obtain the right... Read the book of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews says, no one was ever saved by the shedding of, of bull's blood. It's always been about faith. And so for us, the covenant with Abraham came first. It is solid. It is true. It hasn't changed. The covenant by which we came into Christ through faith has not changed. So like our ancestor Abraham, our justification by faith is valid apart from the law. And Jesus said something incredibly wonderful and interesting and beautiful and astounding. And it's just one little short sentence among several short sentences. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes... Jesus said something that should catch our hearts and our ears when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What did that mean? Jesus was saying, those who enter into the kingdom of heaven come knowing, I do not have anything within me to offer God. Poor in spirit. I can't earn my way. I don't deserve it. I, I, I am a sinner. I am far apart from God. I could never hope to understand that God was with me. And when you have that heart, 
I can't earn your way, God, then that opens you up to the incredible truth of grace. I am incredibly ecstatic that Danny Nance does not have to earn his way to the kingdom. If that were the truth, I'd never have a chance. Now, let's be honest. We can understand the idea that there must be more, right? Humanly speaking, we get that. We don't want to owe. We want to take care of our situation. We want to fix ourselves. And it's hard for us to accept that God would just simply say, I'm going to forgive you. I love you because of what Christ said. I'm going to give you grace. Because that's not what we experience in this world very often. And the human heart is full of pride. Let me do it on my own. One of my favorite moments in Jessica's childhood was a moment that is universal among children. When she was about this tall, insisting she could reach a water fountain this tall without my help. I can do it. Go ahead. And she tried valiantly. And tried valiantly. And finally looked up at me with, I think, a tiny bit of toddler angst and anger. Okay, pick me up. The Judaizers just couldn't understand how God could say, all you have to do is trust me. Because they understood the works were theirs. And it's not until we're ready to say, I can't do it, Lord, that grace becomes a reality in our lives. It's only as we say, I can't earn my way that we open ourselves, God, here I am, and let me receive what you've given us. As hard as it may be to willingly accept we need help, and I have lost count of the number of people throughout my life that I've told about Jesus who have just flat told me I don't need him. It's not until we're willing to say, I can't do it, that we find the freedom of grace. Folks, we do not have to live in fear of the law. And when I come face to face with my, the reality that I can't be the person I'm meant to be on my own, and that feeling of helplessness is not fun. And a feeling of helplessness can lead us to despair. Folks, it can lead us into that worry. I'm not good enough. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not doing the right things well enough. So I must not be real. Let us surrender to this truth. And I've shared this with you 
No telling how many times. And I believe every word is true. There is nothing you can do that will make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. And the gift of grace is Him saying, I love you. And I have paid the price through Christ, my Son. And you can now call me Father. We don't have to be afraid of it. We don't have to be worried that somehow God is watching and waiting for us to mess up. Ladies, imagine this. Uh, uh, a woman wrote an article for Christianity Today uh, back in 2012, and she, she painted a picture. Imagine a bride and groom. They're rushing out of the church. They've just been married, and they get into the limo, the backseat, getting ready to whisk, off, whisk them off to, for their honeymoon, and they give a kiss and... and so much joy. And then the husband looks at his wife and says, now, I need you to understand something. I want to be honest with you. I can't really say that we got married today. I can't really say you're my wife because I don't know what kind of wife you're going to be. Now, as we live our life, and I won't know that till we come to the very end and I can look back and see, were you the kind of wife I wanted? Were you the kind of wife I needed? And at the end, if I see, yes, you met the criteria, then I will say, now you're my wife, and yes, we were married. But if you don't live up, if you don't meet my criteria, then we were never really married to begin with. And I love the way she ended her scenario. There's no way that that's going to be a happy honeymoon. If there's going to be a honeymoon at all. Wives, consider those men who married you. How would you have felt if they said, I'm not really sure you're my wife anyway. If we spend our lives thinking God is waiting for us to step out of line so he can rip his salvation away from us, if we're waiting to think God is just waiting, and folks, I went through a period in my life, that's the way I understood God. And Paul is telling the the Galatians, the contract will not be annulled and the contract is not broken by the law. You've trusted, you have believed, and you are mine. Our final truth. If law superseded faith, God's promise would be annulled. If the Judaizers are correct, if, when the law was given, people had to start obeying the law in order to be justified with God, then that effectively annulled the promise. Not just the contract, the very promise itself that was given. And there's no easy way to put this. Paul is being very blunt here. Paul assured his readers that the false teachers were saying God broke his word to Abraham. 
You've been justified by faith. And all those who have been justified by faith are descendants of Abraham. Well, the law comes along, well, up until now. Now you have to be justified by the law. There was no viable lens through which you could look at these people than this. They are calling God a liar. Now, they wouldn't, well, they wouldn't do that, that brazenly, right? They, they wouldn't just say, well, God lied to Abraham. They're just going to say God changed the rules. Which, in effect, says the promise that God gave was not valid anymore. They distorted the truth. By saying the law was necessary, they were saying somehow the promise to God had been compromised. Now, that's a rabbit hole we don't want to ever fall through. To say that God would break his word about anything is tantamount to saying God can't be trusted. So if God changes the rules from what he promised Abraham, all of a sudden, everything, the implication is shattering. If God did not keep the truth he gave to Abraham, how could followers of God ever believe anything else he said? How many lies do you have to tell before you're a liar? One. And I've told you before, when I was a child, that was my go-to defense whenever I got caught doing anything. I tried to lie my way out of it. I didn't realize how bad a liar I was until, as an adult, I heard a five-year-old tell me a lie. And then I thought, well, now I understand how mom and dad always saw through it. And if God is a liar, like us humans, he can't be trusted in any issue. And so Paul was wanting them to fully understand that these people are saying the promise didn't mean anything because God backed away from the promise. Because if the law was the way you got saved, then the promise doesn't mean anything. And he ends by saying, but God gave Abraham a promise. You are justified by faith. It wasn't by the law. It was the promise. Now, we start looking at how this affects us and how we live our lives out here. There are many things in this wor- to fear in this world, but God breaking his word is not one. If you had told me five years ago that we would be seeing a Russian aggression as strong as it is right now, again in this world, I wouldn't have believed you. I'm a child of the Cold War. My dad was in the Air Force. One of the most incredible moments in my life is when I got to do a mission trip in Ukraine, part of the former Soviet Union. And here I was. Folks, I remember when the Berlin Wall fell. I remember when the Soviet Union was destroyed. I would never have believed we would see this kind of aggression. And right now, people are holding their breath, and they're still, well, this is World War III, it's the end of the world. 
But you know what? If you had told me four years ago, we would see a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, that would make the Spanish flu pandemic of the early 20th century look almost mild in comparison, I would have told you, quit watching scary movies on Netflix. Quit watching those things about all these different bugs that are going to get us. If you had told me that there would be so much violence between parents and children that it seems to be coming the norm. Now, maybe it's always been that violence, but I have noticed in news feeds, parents killing children or children killing parents seems to be on an upswing right now. There's a lot of things I don't understand. There are a lot of things I'm a, that, that concern me and raise those fear levels in my brain that want to control. And I'll be honest. I don't always understand what God is doing. I love it when something happens and somebody says, well, is this it? Is the end of the world start? I said, well, God hasn't told me. And I don't know. Thankfully, I, I got over when I was a 20-year-old pastor. I thought any time somebody asked me a question, I didn't know I had to find out the answer. I'm 64. I've given up such foolishness. There are some things we won't be able to answer. I don't always understand why the will of God leads me in places I'd rather not go, why there are struggles, why there are battles, why are there things that hit my life that I'm totally unprepared for. But I have staked my life, I have staked my destiny, I have staked my calling on this truth. Wherever the will of God leads me, He will be there with me. That doesn't mean God causes everything to happen. God didn't make you have a flat tire because you forgot to put your tithe in the offering plate. But it does promise us, as Paul said in Romans 8, 28, God is working together everything in our lives for our good if we love Him and we are called according to His purpose. God doesn't break His word. And that is seen through his, the word of his revelation. And that's why we have the scripture to remind me of those truths. God is with us. God loves us. And God will not abandon us. I don't, I don't have to. I'm not saying that my brain doesn't go there sometimes in moments of struggle and doubt. But I don't have to give in to the idea that somehow God's playing games with me. He's not. He will be with us. And I love the verse. And that's why I began this, this worship service with the call to worship. It doesn't matter how many promises God has ever made. They are all yes in Christ. And so our response, a hearty amen.
God keeps his word. So let us firmly plant our faith in the word of our God, in the integrity of our God, in his honesty, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness. And again, as is shown in us through the scripture, that God keeps his word. And we can trust him. So every time you hear that little voice speaking into your brain, if you listen carefully, it, it really sounds like ourselves. You know, I like to say it's Satan whispering in our ears, but it's usually our own struggles. If you, if you go through that moment in time, I'm not worthy to be called a Christian. You're right. You're not worthy in and of yourself. But God has made you worthy. God has made you a believer. God will hold on to you. Now, please understand me. All of this is not to say that means we can live our lives the way we want to. That there is no call to holiness, there is no call to righteousness in our lives, there is no call to being the godly person God has called you to be. We will see Paul address that in Galatians very clearly in the fifth chapter. But in the fifth chapter, he lets us know that happens the same way we become a child of God. By the grace of God, made available to us through it, through faith. That's our hope. That's our life. God has opened up the door for us to understand a truth we really need to get hold of. And I know our tradition as Baptists from the moment we showed up in the 1600s. Our tradition has been very clearly stated. You are saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we will stand on those words and we will proclaim those words. But I also know the human heart well enough to know we have not always understood the complete implication of that. So again, yes, Paul is still dealing with it. Isn't it amazing that Paul, have you noticed he keeps preaching the same message every chapter in Galatians? That's how serious this is. That's how far away from the truth his followers or his, the people he led to Christ how far they have gotten away from the truth and the danger they are in. So folks, we sang a, song, a, a, a hymn, Standing on the Promises of Christ my Savior. And that's where we need to plant our feet. The promises of God. And as we move forward in, in the book of Galatians, we will come to that point where Paul defines how we become 
like Christ in this world. How we start seeing victory. How we start seeing righteousness flow. How we start seeing a holy life flow. But it's very crucial that we understand this truth. God does not break His Word. God keeps His promises. And I don't have to be afraid of that. So when Paul wrote to the church at Rome and he said that the hearing of the Word brings us to the place of faith and as we trust, we are saved. That's our truth. That's our truth. So let's not only understand that for ourselves, Let's understand that for the rest of the world that is in need of salvation. Because sometimes we give people the idea, you're not good enough for the kingdom, clean up your act and then come. Somebody sketchy walks into the sanctuary. They just look like they're off. They don't look like they belong. And it may be uh, arms covered in sleeves of tattoos. It may be uh, any number of things that say, you're not like us. Put the right clothes on, come to church dressed like you should, and we'll start. Folks, the call of grace through faith is going out into a world that is messy and sinful and full of all sorts of ungodliness. And we should applaud that. I've got to admit, I've, I've apparently looked pretty unthreatening throughout most of my life. I, I, I have no tattoos, even hidden ones. I've never been on a motorcycle gang. I remember once standing outside of Matt's uh, apartment waiting for Rachel to get off work. It was dark and I was waiting for her make sure everything was okay. A police officer drove by several times and I went back in the apartment and I said, I'm a little upset. And Jessica said, why? And I said, I don't look threatening enough for a policeman to ask me what I'm doing. And I know that's a twisted idea, but, you know, that's me. The people out there in the world that church people say don't belong are the very people we are called to take the good news of Jesus Christ to. And we let God do the change. Just like He has changed us. My heart is solidly believing this truth. What God told me the day I became a Christian is still true to this day and will be long after I'm gone. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And you may be that person who has struggled with doubt and you have lived your life in fear that somehow you're not quite living up to what God wants. 
And so you start looking at all the things I've got to do in order to make God love me or, or make God accept me. Understand this. God loves you. I'm not saying that he may, he's always happy with the decisions you make, but God has saved you by his grace through faith. God will sustain you by his grace through faith. God will make you into the person you are supposed to be by his grace through faith.